Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Freestyle Way podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Kara Miller. Uh, this is a smart woman, so I'm going to just read her LinkedIn bio, or at least part of it, just so you get an idea. Uh, here it says that Kara Miller is an author, professor, coach, and consultant in the fields of leadership formation, organizational change, the psychology of adult development, and learning. That's what she focuses on. And she has received a master's in divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and a PhD from the University of San Diego. She was also affiliated with Harvard University as a teaching fellow in the Extension School. And she was an instructor in Harvard's programs in professional education for over half a decade. Now, um, she is a coach and consultant and a badass and has a lot to share when it comes to leadership. And in today's conversation, we dive into uh, exploring what the essence is around this idea of adaptive leadership, which through the conversation, you'll get to understand a little bit better. Now, Something that I wanted to share before we dive into today's episode is the importance of having you subscribe to the podcast, leaving a review, and an honest rating, as this is extremely helpful for the podcast and its exposure. So if you enjoy the podcast and you have 90 seconds, maybe uh, go to whatever platform you're on, hit those little stars write a review, even if it's just a one-liner. And something that I would suggest is something that Justin Castelli, one of the previous guests on this podcast, mentioned to me, was this idea of leaving a review where you review the podcast according to the episode that impacted you the most. So if it was uh, Logan Gelbrick, you leave a review and you mention Logan Gelbrick. If it was Kara Miller, you leave a review and you mention Kara Miller. If it was somebody else, you mention that person. And what that does is it's like a little gift to the guest who is not only uh, jumping on the podcast because they care to uh, share what they're working on, but they're also giving us everything that they know in a way that is uh, basically for free. So this is a way of uh, saying thank you uh, to the guest and also assisting the podcast and getting a little bit more reach. And it's very helpful for me. So that's my my one and only ask for today. Other than that, I hope you enjoy the episode and um, I'll see you next week. This is the Freestyle Way. And here we are, live and direct <laughs> with Kara Miller. How are you? I'm into you live. I'm really well. I'm good. I'm in my office. That's my happy, happy place during the day. So, um, so yeah, you find me well. How about nice, you? Nice, nice. And are you accompanied by your dog at work? Oh, I usually am, but not today. I didn't know if it would interfere with, you know, I wanted to bring my best self to your podcast listeners. So he's not here today. So no distractions. Uh, I'm doing great. And as we were talking off air, so to speak, um, we, we're, we're just going to let this, this rip and see where it goes. 
but uh, you know, people will know just by reading uh, the description of the podcast how many letters you have after your name. Uh, so <laughs> so we're, we're not going to worry about that at the moment. But I, let's just start with something simple. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about uh, leadership, and the the first question is, oh, why leadership? Gosh, this is this is an ancient question, right? Um, for as long as there were groups of people trying to accomplish something, they were asking, where's the leader or how do, how do we do this? And leadership was usually the answer. Um, certainly management is not an ancient concept, but leadership is. Um, and so leadership for me um, in the generation that I show up in is about the people among us who are willing to raise their hand and say, I'll take a first move. Um, and, you know, as others who we, you know, respect say, I'm willing to take responsibility for the outcomes of whether I've led us well or, um, or whether I'm leading and no one's following, um, which is nice data <laughs> for leaders. Um, start there. If no one's following your leadership, are you leading? Um, so leadership for me is a devotion to the people who are willing to stand up and say, I've got some gifts. I've got some experiences. I've also got some flaws, but I'm willing to take responsibility to get this group moving in, in a good direction or the direction that we believe is the right one. That's mm -hmm. why leadership for me. Yeah. I like that. What came up for me as you were saying this was uh, Mr. Rogers and how his mother uh, said, um, yeah, whenever you're scared in a situation where maybe something's happening, uh, look for the helpers. And are, are the helpers leaders? In as much as the helpers can have effective influence, then they become leaders. So um, it is, it's interesting. Influence is a piece of leadership that not everybody uh, keeps track of or is attuned to. Um, so leadership isn't only name the way and distribute the resources, <laughs> you know, to get there. It's also stay attuned to is your influence being accepted and is it mul being multiplied? Is it for good for sort of the capital G good? Um, really fine leaders are very attuned to the impact of their influence or how well their influence is being taken up by the group or the organization that they're trying to lead in. And very poor leaders get frustrated and bitter and locked up when they feel like their influence is not being multiplied or it's not being integrated and they're tempted to use some sort of icky power in order to compensate for that. And so leaders that I work with who are struggling with power or maybe um, don't see their influence being taken up, we, we work to go back to what's your understanding of how you check in with mm -hmm. your influence and how effective it is. Are people taking you up? Are they... Um, building on your influence or are they going in a different direction? Because if they are, 
it's usually not that they're just rebellious and, you know, off the, off the script. Usually they know something you don't know and you're not learning it. Um, so, so there's something there about influence and, uh, and leadership. Mm -hmm. You brought something up for me just now, which is, uh, my, my daughter likes to say, dad, you're doing too much. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which is usually, yeah. And with limits. Mm-hmm. And boundaries, which, sure. yeah, which is, which is code for, I don't need your help. I need something else. Mm-hmm. And are you able to see that? Um, yeah, that's and that's where sometimes I fail to ask the right question. Maybe, ooh, what is it that you need? Yes. How can I support you? Yes. Uh, because I get caught up in my feelings or my thinking or my narrative. And then it becomes this thing. Oh, she never listens. I'm not good enough. Yeah. See, my hands are tied. Yes. This type of thing. Well, and the temptation comes for many of us, you know, yes, in my parenting, also in my leadership um, to to move to power. Um, like, well, I, you're not listening to me, but I deserve to be listened to. Right. Or like, hey, I'm the manager. Right. Like. I'm the parent. So like, this is that old phrase, like, because I told you so, you know, like, you know, you don't think this is the right question, but I'm telling you it is the right question. (laughs) Um, Or my dad likes to say, uh, we're answering questions that aren't being asked. And really good leaders are, are really quick to correct on that. So am I answering a question that is not being asked? Am I offering, you know, influence or am I pushing on this system in ways that it's not receiving. And if so, you just identified it in the sensitive moment of like, okay, now with tonight, like, how do I now pivot and be like, what's the actual question then? Um, There's a lot of courage and bravery required to say my approach was not effective. Mm -hmm. What approach is needed here? Will you collaborate with me about that approach and how respectful that is, how much dignity there is in you offering her that question and the humility <laughs> and then you like the experience changing the question and really elite leaders are willing to do that too and then make it really normal so mm-hmm. that is a real skill to make that pivot ah my influence is not effective here i'm tempted to go power but instead i'm going to pull back and and get curious and i'm going to invite others and we're going to figure out what kind of influence is needed here so that we can all move forward. And I don't jam this system up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot, a lot to unpack here. Uh, so we, we've talked a little bit about influence. We've talked a little bit about management. It just came up a little bit there. And then uh, it all stemmed from this question, why leadership? For, for you, when, um, let's say you're going out to do some work around leadership what is what is the uh most common trait that you see amongst teams and individuals that uh you feel like this is the first thing that we need to tackle if we if we don't tackle this we just can't access anything else is there is there like a common ground there 
It's actually a really easy one for me to answer. And it's, it is, it's from my experience, but I think there's lots of research that bears this out too, but I really have a felt sense of it or like I can hear, I can hear it um, when you ask me that question. And that is, have we agreed about the ways that we want to do work together? And every single system that I've ever been in, save one, cannot, couldn't answer that question when I met them or, you know, when they came to me. And it seems like the most basic question ever. What do you mean? Like how we're going to do work together? Like we're just going to get it done. Um, but, but really that often is what becomes the obstacle to getting work done is we haven't really agreed about what's in bounds, what's out of bounds, what's, what's fair play and what's not. And then we get really weird and, you know, we have a lot of workarounds together in order to solve for the fact that we've never made those agreements. Um, most of us have not seen that modeled well. So there's a back piece to this, which is you've never seen that done well on a team by a leader, then you're likely not going to require that of a leader of a team that you're on. And you're not likely going to lead that on any team that you're on. Um, and so we're dealing with a, a skill deficit and also an illustration de deficit. <laughs> um, but really where I come in is not around those things, but it's around actually the need for it because mm -hmm. most people don't even realize there's a need for it. Right. And, yeah. and so do you even facilitate mediating that? So they arrive at an agreement and if so, yeah, how, how do you, how do you start that conversation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an easy one to start because, um, you know, how, how is work going? between between all of you um that <laughs> that question just opens up a, a really interesting box of perspectives i would say so um it's sort of like sometimes i think about it like um like the game of clue uh if you were to take you know each each character out of the game of clue or the movie uh, clue is like a total goof but um, but if you were to take each of them and say, all right, so what's happening here? You would get a very colorful, but very different story. Or it's like a murder mystery party. You know, if you've ever been to one of those, you get assigned a role and you get one little perspective and you're supposed to bring that perspective. But we all have to figure out what the actual story is. And so very quickly, if you bring people together and you ask, How's, how is work done here? What are your, you know... How do you guys operate with each other? Um, what's your decision-making process when you guys get stuck? What are a couple of your, you know, fixes or your principles? And then um, how do you manage conflict? How do you bring others in? So what's the experience of having someone join um, or having someone exit with that experience? How do you do that together? We're already into very active, rich discussion. Most of the time, no one's ever asked them to think from a meta view of, of what's going on in the team that they just live in, right? So we swim, we swim in our context of people that we work with or interchange with, and we aren't often invited to get up on the balcony, take a look. Oh yeah, how do we do things? Uh, where does it get stuck? 
where do I feel frustrated? Um, so it's, it's a pretty easy um, diagnosis, but, um, but the fix becomes more complex because you have as many perspectives as you have opportunities to move in that. Um, so that, so my first response to your question is, um, it's pretty easy just to ask them to take a look at the way they work together. How's it going? Will you describe it for me? And then they start to look at each other like, well, I think we do this. Well, I, I my experience is that we do this. Well, when I came on, I didn't know what was going on. So I just kind of, you know, joined in and I, I figured there was some method here. Is there no method? You know, like there are all kinds of responses to that. Um, Usually I've worked with the leader beforehand so that they can stomach <laughs> the idea that we don't have a way of uh, some agreements and ways of working um, mm -hmm. that are not assumed, that are not a default. Um, usually the default or the assumed way of working together is however the group has um, carefully and vigilantly read whatever the leader's responses are to different things. And then they make that their way of working. Like when I say this, they respond that way. So I better not do that. Um, when I do this, they love it. So I'll just keep doing that. And it, mm -hmm. it becomes the method, but really it's just a read of the, the leader reactions, which is really a very fragile way to lead a team. Um, so, so we certainly don't, don't want to <laughs> run a team that way, run a business, a nonprofit <laughs> um, that way it's easy to break. And when mm -hmm. people leave, they leave with their methodologies. They leave with the ways of managing that leader rather than doing a little piece of hard work, which is, can we look at the way we work so that we can work together well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot. Uh, so, so there's a lot of uh, pre-work that has to be done with the leader of a group or an organization before you even attempt to work on changing organizational structure, the dynamics amongst each other. I, I can totally see that. Yesterday, I gave a talk to a group. We're not going to mention who, but uh, within the within this group, uh, there were thirty plus people. And um, I asked something where I alluded to the idea of um, of uh, them potentially changing their mind on how they did things. Could they have improved in some way? Do they have any regrets? And out of the 30 plus people, only two people raised their hands. Uh, one was the leader. So the person running the show. So that, I, I felt like that was a really good uh, sign. Yeah. And one of the things that we knew going into this is that most people in that room didn't want this person as a leader, but had uh, made it there fair and square. Uh, so uh, there was a little bit of energy, we could say. And then there was another person in the group that raised their hand. And I would say that it was 40% uh, women, 60% men. And um, the leader is a woman. And the other person who raised their hand was also a woman. So I'm wondering, um, is this just coincidence or is there something about um, women in leadership that are more available to these conversations? Or is that just a stereotype that I am now projecting into the world? <laughs> it's probably a little of both. So you can do your own reflection on that one. Um, I, I have struggled but, with it, but I'm very yeah, curious no. to hear from you. For just giving it. Um, yeah. So 
because of some of the prime ministers or national leaders that we've seen on the global scene who are women, we see more research done about women in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and that research is clear. Um, women are less rigid in their decision-making inputs. Um, they are more collaborative in the decision-making process, uh, and which means they authorize others um, easily, more easily. And, um, and that leaders who identify as women are also more apt to come to more creative or innovative solutions on behalf of the whole than, um, than their counterparts. So there is, there is some really interesting research. Um, and that's only, we've only been able to have that, um, because of the women who have risen to these positions. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, the, um, the national leader from New Zealand who just resigned recently, like she's, you know, a huge flashpoint for this conversation. Um, the ways that she tested the limits and pushed the role and, um, you know, drew some fire, I would say, but also gained a lot of fans, um, a lot of supporters. Um, But we have a lot of interesting illustrations of women who lead. Um, What I find, and the reason why I wouldn't ever like call myself like an expert in women's leadership or something is that, um, is that leadership principles are non-gendered. And so um, the, it's, it's a little bit like, um, like personality typing kind of to me. So it doesn't end up being as helpful when you get to the highest levels of leadership. So if you are working in a large, you know, corporate floor of cubicles and, and, and everybody does a workshop where they learn their, uh, their personality styles or their approach to work, their style of work or something. Um, it's really helpful to know that, um, you know, you approach things one way and I approach things another way and that we can work together because we're complementary styles and uh, I can get you what you need and you can be complimentary for me. Um, once you get to the highest levels of leadership, those are um, those labels or those approaches, um, we really just, they're not helpful or useful anymore because the expectation is that you'll be able to sit in any of those seats. So whether it's like the DISC profile or the, you know, Myers-Briggs or whatever, once you, once you're the highest level leader, um, you don't get to just say, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm an inquirer only and everyone else needs to compliment me. Right. Um, and so what's difficult is that, um, we can get stuck in, well, because I'm a man or because I'm a woman or because I'm a person of color or because I'm young or because I don't speak the language, it's not my first language, right? There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of that going on. Um, and my personal experience and my deep belief is that leadership principles end up like rising above all of those demographic differences. And so not that we want to wash them out. We, we want to keep them because they're who we are. Um, but as far as the actual tactical, inspirational form of leadership, using the power that's been given to you by the organization to serve it well, um, the principles are higher level. And so pushing a leader who is stuck in 
well, because I'm a woman, I can't really weigh in because this board is all men, right? So that story is like a like flag for me. So if I meet a, a CEO who is a person of color, let's say, and they say, well, I can only do so much. Like my, my influence is limited by the demographics of my organization. Um, there may be truth to that. And, um, and that's a DEI kind of conversation. Um, and so without ignoring that, without um, excusing that or taking that out of the equation, um, how do we also say, but that's not all there is to the story. So yes, there's work to be done there. Also, what's the higher order thinking that takes those things into account, but still understands that leadership principles are quite universal. Um, and so it's, it, there's a lot of complexity and ambiguity and sort of loss, a little bit of loss of self and the attachments to who I am and what I stand for and who I'm against and who's against me. It's, it's difficult to have the maturity to loosen your grip on those things and, and rise to a, a higher level of thinking about moving an organization and using power on behalf of, of the good for that organization. Mm -hmm. That's a really long answer to that question, but it's a juicy one. You got, It's very juicy. Topic. And you, you, you brought up so many things that we could, um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, selfishly, this is what came up for me. I'm like, what's alive in me yes. that uh, I believe that I spend some time thinking about these things and I'm relatively aware and open yet there I am projecting this stereotype that of course is just my story, but there it is. And it influences the way I think the way I make decisions, even the way I feel to the point where uh, I'm still thinking about it today. Meaning I've been carrying it since yesterday. Why am I projecting this yes. onto this group? And how does that limit me? Furthermore, can can I can I work through that? Am I am I capable of working through that? Or is it not something that you work through, but maybe you have as a way of creating contrast and indicating that, oh yeah, you are aware. And maybe over time it may turn into something else. It may adapt into something else. And maybe now we're getting into this idea of adaptive leadership, which is what you were, I think you were alluding to when you said uh, well, these, yeah. these stereotypes no longer fit or personality types. Now you have to be able to be, um, yeah, adaptive or a little bit more agile. And Because here's what they become. They become an instrument. So I see you doing reflection about how you're using this projection. Okay. So you how you put together this these pieces of data, right? Like there's there's likely a gender difference in leadership and how people reflect on it or are willing to take responsibility or admit admit regret or something like that. Whatever that was going on in the moment yesterday, right? Um, so so you have data points that come together for you. And you, you know, very vulnerably shared, like I put them together and I thought, I wonder if this is a thing, you know, um, and maybe that explains the tension in the room that two women raised their hand. One is the leader. The rest of the organization is not thrilled with the leader. And, you know, they're, they're likely majority identify as men. Okay. Um, and then, and then today we think, okay, what do we make of that? Um, our job, if we're trying to get to that sort of higher order thinking so that we have 
multiple outcomes and, and more creative possibilities is to make sure we don't turn it into an instrument. So, um, so by that, I mean, um, use it to explain away the work that we could actually go towards. And so in adaptive leadership, we call that work avoidance. And it's basically the good conclusions that we make that we turn into a way of categorizing something so that we can avoid dealing with maybe the energy that sparked the effort in the first place. So mm -hmm. we have this uh, tension of something that feels either or. It's do we approach leadership willing to admit regret or failure or, or not, you know, or something like that. Um, then we say, well, it's, it, it could be because of gender. So the difference has been explained. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Um, when instead, how do we reconcile them? And recon reconciling things that feel different or opposite is a very difficult practice. It's a very difficult exercise. It's telling yourself that somehow two things that feel opposed are actually um, dependent on one another. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's just a mind blower for many of us, mm -hmm. especially in the spiciest things around gender and race and age and, you know, all of that. So um, I, I, I love your ability to like reflect on how, how am I using that conclusion or that projection, I think you called it, to get myself out of some more interesting piece of work that might mm -hmm. really jumble my brain for a bit. Um, and it may cause me to question my own ability to do this, but I, but I want the complexity. I'm going to sit in the ambiguity, you know, in the uncertainty of this thing and, and look or invite others to come and kind of break this with me. And so mm -hmm. I think it's a fabulous personal example of what really good leaders are doing all the time. Um, when the temptation arises to see two opposing things and then to project a sameness onto them or an explanation onto them, and then thereby excuse it out of our stomach or our spirit or wherever it troubled us, <laughs> um, or even out of the whole system so that others get the message that that's a no-fly zone. Uh, many leaders do that unconsciously because they can't reconcile two things and they label it and then pressure the organization to label it similarly and avoid it. And so the work avoidance, you can see how its impact goes so deep. If the leader of a country does this in, in their rhetoric, the entire society ends up sort of with influence around, you know, those things are opposed and they won't, and they're, they aren't related and they can't relate. Right. And uh, so, I mean, we can very quickly see how mm -hmm. this plays out in really negative ways and ways that don't feel good to us. Mm -hmm. um, but wh what do you hear when I describe what you were doing as a work avoidance or a temptation to, to turn something into an instrument of avoidance. What, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's interesting because work avoidance sometimes is the, uh, I can't find a better word than the desperate uh, desire to get the job done quickly. For sure. Right. I just want to get it done quickly. And I think that's what you meant by turning it into an instrument. Mm -hmm. 
Is that is that uh, correct? Okay. Yeah, uh, that's what's coming up for me. I'm like, hmm. I know that a lot of times I'm like, can we just cut to the chase? Can we just like, can you guys fix this already? This Rather is the problem. Than- Let me just make up the problem for you. And yes. then I'll tell you what the solution is. And then you'll leave here and you'll be like, yes, we what? did it. Carl's great. We're going to hire him again. How much do you want? We'll pay you double. Okay. <laughs> you require them to change their instrumentation, right? You gave them an instrument. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, if, if sometimes people ask me, how do I know someone's a good coach or not a good coach or an effective leader, not an effective leader? Um, you know, I, I would say this is one of the things. Um, do, do they resolve things well that feel tidy and feel like takeaways and you know, these kinds of things, um, beware. Kara, Kara, my whole body is tingling right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm freaking out right now because I'll t- I'm sorry for interrupting you, but it, I just have to say it. And, and it's because I'm freaking out because I, I often get to this point where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what is this? Like, what, what, what what does my coaching even do? Yeah. Because it feels like we never arrive. Like, can we just keep it clean? Can we just have a destination where we all say, yeah, we made it, we did it. And now we can just like check the box and move on, but it never arrives. And then I, I'm sitting there, well, this is the path to mastery, Carl. (laughs) You know, like you just have to, you know, it's a constant grind. All this it's like a never ending to hear you say it validates my feelings in many ways. I'm like, thank you. I I feel seen. And at the same time, I'm like, oh shit, Kara, can you please just tell me it's going to end? Can we, can you just tell me we can be successful as coaches? (laughs) And I'll tell you what, there are very successful coaches who tie it up, give the answer, you know, all of that. So what you're talking about is a real, um, it's feeding sugar to addicts. Mm-hmm. And we really want a nice, tight five step program to get our team to high performing or whatever the thing is. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, to say that this is an infinite game where we are going to commit to being in practice for the entire time we're in relationship around this piece of work is is not as popular (laughs) it sucks Um, it it sucks sucks. it sucks and one of the best compliments that a really effective coach could receive is you never gave it to me i never felt satisfied with with what you were giving to the issues or the dynamics or the structures or whatever and Um, and so we have to like practice that in a way that people can tolerate, right? Because if I were to come in hot with you, um, and, and start this kind of conversation with you and this kind of accountability with you, um, you'd be on fire for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you've spent decades now reflecting on what is, what is it that I need to be doing? How, how is it that I need to be in order to improve in a way that I can repeat or change? 
And so you've been in that question for decades. Uh, most leaders have been avoiding that question actively for decades. Mm-hmm. So we are we're inviting people to an untraining <laughs> and that's really difficult. It's really difficult for our, our bodies to respond to that, to untrain ourselves from, I, I call them coping mechanisms in leadership, which is what are the five steps? What are the metrics we need? You know, th- those kinds of things that are really quick resolves, you know, um, quick answers. They don't get us sustainable um, improvement over time. And so sometimes bringing someone to that awareness who isn't like you, who's been avoiding it for decades rather than indulging in it for decades, um, it, it, it sometimes does require some data. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a funny thing that sometimes I'll come in pretty technical. Um, let's do some measurements. Let's do some goal achievement over time for this team. Let's take a look at um, what, what have been the strengths and liabilities of a team or whatever, right? So this kind of stuff, like I, I used to roll my eyes at it, but I mm-hmm. actually see them as tools now to uncover the more messy, adaptive, um, you know, things we need to untrain out of leaders and teams, which is a, is an over-dependence on solutions that come scripted and a, avoidance of the work of working on the dynamics. And mm-hmm. it's a very interesting approach. It's not, it's not as common of an approach. I think people who have uh, clearer frameworks um, probably make more money and more easily than we do. Um, yeah. So talk just, to me about it. So my hat is off to them, but I sleep really well at night because mm. my clients are always a bit dissatisfied with what I'm, my role in resolving the things they're in. And, and, and they're convinced of my companionship. So mm-hmm. that is, that's my, my, the ratio I aim <laughs> to have is that my companionship is, is, has no doubt. My devotion to staying with them in the journey is, you know, unmatched. Mm-hmm. And my delivery of the answer is disappointing. <laughs> and, and and then balancing that for the duration of the relationship. Um, what's your experience of that? Like, um, you're so great because recently you've been talking about this, you know, mm-hmm. openly and like when you're walking and on the podcast, when you're doing like sort of those one-on-one, like with yourself, just the self-reflection. Um, gosh, I just, I feel like it's, it's such a generous way to talk about how you're coming to these, you know, coming to these understandings of like sort of accepting what, here's how I heard it. You accepting that, um, that you're not going to have all the answers and that doesn't make you an ineffective coach that actually puts you in a position to become the most kind of the most effective kind of coach Mm -hmm. because you will stay in the questions and give them structures to like, to really stay in, stay in these questions and not come to the rescue with answers. And mm-hmm. I, I 
have so much honor for the way that you've revealed that, you know, in yourself with others and then publicly. I think it, it makes us all look good and brings dignity to all of us in the role. Wow. <laughs> leaders need companions and advocates mm-hmm. who will stay here with them because everything else is pulling them out of the work, the deeper work and toward these quick answer frameworks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a thank you. And how do you well, thank you? Uh, I don't know if you're trying to make me cry or what, oh, but uh, I, I, I hope you feel honored. That's I, I feel very to. honored. I feel yeah. very honored and I welcome your words and I will let them sit there for a little bit. Uh, yeah, this is hard shit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Kara, this, this, I didn't know when we were going to dive into this, but I feel like this could be the segue. And because we're just free flowing, I think it's important. There were, there were four letters behind your uh, name on your bio that I I didn't recognize. And I believe they're MD Uh IV. Is that? Yeah. Yep. And that stands for masters in divinity of divinity Mm -hmm. image um i wish i knew image i is image made visual or it's div divinity divinity okay divinity yeah because i looked up the iv a long time ago and i I thought it was like image made visible or something like that well well, Uh, there is a imago dei part of that which is um that uh, the 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 deep belief that we are an image of god and mm-hmm. so there's that's the imago day. So that def, there's definitely a foundation of that inside the the masters of divinity. Um, there's that's a foundational principle mm-hmm. that we each bear the image of source or of God, and that that there's that adds a sacred element to our relating to one another, or it should, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, and I love I love I love that this is this is what it is because. Um, okay. The best way I can put it is, um, I have Swedish parents, non-religious, um, if anything, Protestant, maybe something like that. And then I grew up in Spain, heavily Christian Catholic specifically. I went to Catholic school, you know, wore the uniform, did the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't do any of the sacraments. I didn't go through it. I was, uh, yeah, I just went through school as if it was public school, but I was I was around it. So I got to see all of this kind of unfolding. And then um, I was like, I don't I don't get it. I don't get this religion thing. I did, just didn't understand. And then I also had my older brother, who is a big influence on me, uh, being like, no, no God for me. I'm an atheist, uh, basically. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm an atheist, too. Uh, whatever that means, that's what I am. Yeah. Uh, and I've been, I've been very against, um, this idea of religion and just a lot of bad things happened. Um, pain was inflicted. I just remember like nuns pulling my ears and like these punishments and like, this sucks. If this is like a representation of God, I'm like, I'm not down with it. Uh -uh. It, Just a negative experience. Anyways, fast forward. Now I'm a little older. And noticing that um, 
in my surroundings, especially in the U.S., more people are open to talking about their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes they would say simple things like, God bless you. And um, I was at that point in my life, I was maybe 27, 28, something like that. I would hear something like that and I would get irritated. Like, what do you mean, God bless you? What, what does this even mean? Yes. Um, and yeah, so just irritated. And then eventually I got to a point where I had a little bit more compassion and empathy. And I, I would say, okay, translated into my language is I wish you well, I wish you the best. I, I hope you're healthy, all these things. I'm like, mm, thank you type thing. And then I started to experience a lot of pain. Uh, just life was uh, challenging, work was challenging, and I just went into a darker place. And uh, there I was faced with um, this notion that I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing here. This is all very strange. It feels like a dream. Things happen in ways that one could call miraculous or there's some kind of divinity or divine intervention. Mm. And when it comes to leadership, this is now just fast forwarding, coming to leadership, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like this is the place that you, you end up in. If, if you actually start to go down this rabbit hole, you end up in a place where you start to ask yourself, well, is there, is God a thing? Like, is this a thing? Am I God? Are we God? What, what is God? What is this whole divine world? Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't have a question. I'm just sharing, uh, <laughs> This is precious, precious sharing. Yeah, what, what you got, Kara? What you got on that? What can you tell me? Well, I, um, I certainly, you know, as a friend, appreciate and just acknowledge the, the journey of your story. Not everybody talks about their own spiritual journey, I guess is how I would say it. So the understanding or experience of yourself as being spiritual, you know, of, of having something other than your body and your cognitive reality. Um, everyone comes to that in, in really, you know, rich and descriptive ways. So, um, you know, how did you, how did you come to understand yourself as being more than your body and mind is like a really interesting conversation starter. Like, um, probably not a first date question, but <laughs> but definitely a like a third. Yeah. And um, certainly, you know, I think the the early questions of if we're having a shared experience, right, even if it's a dream. <laughs> okay, if we're having a shared experience, even if it's a simulation, <laughs> what is shared about it? And, and how do we um, offer that to one another in ways that we experience as meaningful or as intimate or as um, connecting or um, or as as multiplying right our sense of of how, of our shared of our shared experience and so um, different traditions get at this different ways I mean some traditions get at this by saying you know let's experience our sort of our oneness right and that that connects us to the earth that connects us to um you know people across borders um you know what's what's 
what's the thing that is that keeps us as one what's our what's our sameness or something like that um you know my tradition which is protestant christian tradition um would would say if we each bear the image of god if we each have the imago of the dei of the source of our being if we all bear some um you know reflection of that that there's great compassion to be experienced when we understand that we're looking in 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 the face of god it's some reflection of god when we of our own source we're looking at the reflection of our own source when we look in the face of another person and likely if we had that thought <laughs> at the forefront of our everyday ordinary doings we would behave a little differently mm-hmm. and the discipline to have that knowledge um, moment to moment when we're in leadership of other people where our decisions impact the livelihood or the dignity um, of a large group of people, small group of people, large group of people, anyone else, um, it should give us pause to do very well with the role and the power because um, if we if we understand that our influence in the world um, is is that precious or or could be that sacred, um, then our use of power should should bow somewhat to that. And so so it's interesting you um, when when you bring this up. The other thing I think about is um, is meaning making, mm-hmm. and that from my tradition both both. Um, spiritually and academically, um, they share the principle that we are all constructing or narrating our experience of the world. So um, there aren't there aren't set conclusions about what's happening. That we actually create them. Um, we actually draw our meaning. We author our our conclusions and our assumptions, and we put those together to keep us moving in the world and navigating. And it helps us understand culture helps us, you know, understand social cues and things like that from a very ordinary tactile perspective. But, but it also helps us really understand who others are and who we are in the world. Um, what, what gets tough is we all are these narrators and we're all talking all over each other and we (laughs) get jumbled up. And, um, I mean, you're married, I'm married, right? You figure that out real fast in marriage, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I've got a story being narrated, you know, over here in my mind about what's happening. Um, And it's it's like a real mind blower when I realize that Matt also has a full-blown narration going of what is occurring. And there are so many differences, right? Uh, We're having the exact same experience and we've created two completely different meanings about the very same experience. Mm-hmm. So thank God for therapists. Um, but, but what I'll say about that is as, as a leader, um, realizing that there are as many stories going and meaning being made as there are people in the room is a daunting, complex task. And many leaders who are very in touch with that, um, are relieved to, um, to think, okay, so then what is it that we, that we do share that's sort of unchanging? What's the, what's the dynamic, the spirit, 
the source of something that we can attend to together that will hold us true north. Um, sometimes that looks more like ethics or something or, um, or values in the last few decades or generations. But more and more, it's coming to the shared understanding that we all have sort of this um, reflection of what's essential and that if we can honor that and, and give that its dignity, that we may have a chance <laughs> to listen to some um, to something that will bring us together so we can actually do something without crashing into each other a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting when you talk about, you know, spiritual things or religious things, um, its application to leadership um, can, can be very uh, powerful and very effective because mm-hmm. it taps into this what is shared about our experience and a more um, someone who has disciplined their own spiritual life is a hundred percent more effective at managing the complexity of a system than someone who hasn't attended to their own spiritual life or, or, or spiritual experience in a disciplined way. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's lots of really great research about that. Um, and um, religion and its institutions, they really bungle this up in a major way. And they've been doing it historically and consistently over all of civilization. And it's such a difficult and uncomfortable paradox um, that that I certainly is work that I certainly don't want to avoid and that I continue to stay connected and work hard with friends who are working to, to stay, to stay in these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, yeah. This, that just needs a pause, I guess. From me. Yeah. That, that does need a pause. Pause concluded. So the, the, uh, this, and this, now I want to speak. <laughs> yeah, now I'm going to tell you. Everybody's like, "Oh, how long is this pause going to be?" So um, uh, this this is something that was coming up for me as you were speaking too. Is you were you reminded me that um, one of my biggest problems and where I was facing the most amount of dissonance was uh-huh. in my attempt to try to define God. Right. Okay. And having a, I'm like, I need a definition. Who is God? They're depicting it as something, right? I, I need to depict it. I'm trying to assign meaning to this thing through a definition. Definition gives me direction. For but sure. then, but then it, it leads me to the place where I always arrive. And, and this is a very incomplete um, thought, but I always say performance is measured by feel. When it feels right in your head and your heart and your gut, then mm-hmm. you are trending in the right directions. And the byproduct are these results that you seek however you want to measure them. Okay. Um, so uh, in other words, uh, if, if uh, God leads me, and this is now me just being like very practical and, and just making this up, okay? But um, roll, on, roll on. Yeah, so if I define God as uh, something that gives me direction and that allows me to just surrender to the doing, the being, the thing, the uh, experiencing life, uh, and deploying whatever I need to deploy, learning whatever I need to learn, the experience as a as a as a complete whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, if I can just surrender to that, then um, 
the only thing I need to have is this feeling. Mm-hmm. And that feeling is uh, maybe starts with a sense of belonging, home, connection, that thing. Um, and if I can nurture that, then maybe I am in, um, what would you call it? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm holy. I'm becoming holy or something, right? Holy meaning I'm becoming more whole, uh, more healthy, uh, whatever that thing is. And, um, if I, if I, if I take just this little rambling and I try to extrapolate that idea to an organization, to leadership now, maybe, um, God is the mission, the goals, the, the agreement, so to speak. And if I can, uh, be in connection with that, um, Mm -hmm. through some mechanism, we can call it service then uh, I, I think I'll be leading well. And, 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 and the one thing that uh, helped me kind of or helps me uh, find a little clarity around this is uh, the story about Hanuman in the you know, Ramayana. Basically, uh, this, this monkey Hanuman, he serves uh, uh, Ram and uh, he says something like, when I, when I don't know who I am, I serve you. When I know who I am, I am you. I think that's pretty powerful. So if we just extrapolate this to now like pure mission goals, the organization, we're doing this thing. This is the purpose of, of what we're trying to do. When I don't know who I am, meaning I'm, I'm confused, I just do the mechanical thing, which is I'm just going to serve this purpose. Does this all lead to moving the needle? Yes. yes. Cool. When I am in good standings and I know who I am, now I am the mission itself. So it's the embod- it feels like the embodiment. Um, does this bring up anything for you as I share this? How does this connect to anything that we've talked to about up until this point? Um, well, if, um, your efforts at explaining it and exploring it connects me to you. So mm. there's, there's a deep yes connection. Um, and I think when people are brave enough to speak this way, to, to explore with others, um, connection is what occurs um, if we can stay in it together, if we can um, stay out of boundaries and labels and, and membership and, you know, same is true for politics. I mean, God, totally. Um, so, so I think my, my emotional and, and sort of my spirit is moved when I hear you exploring and, um, and, and really speaking truth, you're speaking your truth. Um, I think it's really powerful. Leaders are really reticent to do that, which is interesting because it's so powerful. It so quickly connects um, people that um, that I want to just put a like a marker there, like put a stone there or something to say that that happened. Um, and I really like um, where you were going with um, having a feeling when things are in alignment. And so um, from my tradition, and actually I'm not sure if the school that you were at was a Jesuit school or just a Roman Catholic school or one of another. Roman Catholic. Okay, Roman Catholic. So another one of the Catholic traditions is really good um, about talking about this feeling of head, heart, hands, um, when they're connected, um, they call that um, discernment. 
And so what you're doing is discerning um, in action. You're, you're, you're doing this discerning in action. Like, am I, you know, is my head in here? Is my heart here? Is my stomach here? Are my hands here? And that, that there's an infinite lifelong pursuit of practicing this level of awareness in all that we do so that we can adjust it when it's out of alignment um, or we can move away when we're in a system that doesn't reinforce it or doesn't positively reinforce it, I guess. Um, and so we call that discernment mm-hmm. and, um, and that there are generations of, um, of faithful humans who have attempted to like talk about the experience of disciplining themselves in, in this way of discernment. And, um, and it's, it's a very powerful body of literature kind of rabbit hole to go down. And what's nice about it is it distinguishes the, that alignment from emotions. Um, because you might agree, but I, I think we're not very good at emotions just, um, in general, it's not even just an American thing. I think we're not great at emotions, at identifying emotions, at making them available to others, at dealing with them in, in other people, right? Like we're, we're really pretty hamstrung on this thing. And so they aren't very dependable actually. Um, but looking for alignment is is a really good way of compensating for the fact that we're not great in emotions, um, which is, you know, does this sit well with me? And, um, and so there's, so I'd offer that, that like that feeling of alignment, um, there's practice around that and there's discipline around that. Um, and, and it's, it's very powerful in my own life in making decisions about partnerships, mm-hmm. um, about my parenting, about um, my my really intentional friendships, and um, and I I think it it directs me in a lot of ways that you're talking about feeling like where how how does God direct me or how would the spirit of um, you know of God like kind of navigate or 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 um, or affirm like a move. Right. And so um, you're describing the ways that you experience the affirmation of something, right? Like this feels good. This feels right. This feels productive. This sits well. Um, We we have a phrase we also use, which is like, it is well, like with my soul. And even when things feel conflicting, even when it's a difficult decision, we're leaving behind something good to choose something unknown. Right. But, but yet it's well with my soul. I can't, describe it but there's a piece of about that that's that results from alignment um and my disciplined awareness of of the nuances of when that changes and when that comes out when it is faltering or or when it's really in a sweet spot um the other thing i just wanted to say is that um you said something about that that you can achieve that form of alignment, or you can come to that feeling of really being in a good, um, having good confidence about your moves when you have some sense of belonging or some sense of home that mm-hmm. it's internal. And, um, I think if I understood that correctly, mm-hmm. that's yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it, that's interesting because, um, in many spiritual traditions, the first 
spiritual truth that um, that you're advised to go back to is just your belovedness. And that if you understand yourself as beloved, you've already been loved. Your, your status is not in question. <laughs> you are much freer to go about aligning your thoughts and your feelings and your spirit into service that is is really for something meaningful which is really for a deeper a real a real good mm -hmm. um and and that is such a struggle for so many of us is just to say today i'm already loved i am ultimately beloved i'm i, I belong i'm already home um any story past that gets weird and mm -hmm. um and so i mean i have a deep experience of having to return to that often mm -hmm. when i get weird or i show up in a way that i don't like um when i when someone shows me a way that i'm out of integrity i say this and i'm doing this um <laughs> uh every day for me <laughs> <laughs> my children are really good at doing that but i also seek that a lot from colleagues and and clients mm -hmm. but um, and my husband, um, we'll include that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but that really the spiritual tradition does a lot of things wrong and, um, and has a lot of flaws, but, but that one is so incredibly effective in whatever language works for someone to say that the initial identity that I have is that I belong, that I'm already loved, that I'm already home. Um, and then service comes from that. So I think it's the same thing as the monkey who, you know, it's like, I already am, like, I already am the service. And so um, now it gets weird when there's performance reviews and there's goal setting conversations and there's a board and there's stock prices and there's, you know, fundraising or whatever. Okay. This all gets really weird, but um, I will say, I think where you were going was this sort of essence and essential question. And for me, my training um, in seminary around spiritual development and faith stages uh, and spiritual practices, this is where it comes in as a real distinction because not every corporate or nonprofit or university or military leader has someone saying, but like, who are you? And like, where, where are we starting from? Um, your service is amazing. Um, if it's falling flat, where do we return to? Um, if you're, if you need to begin again, where do we return to? If you're flying high and it doesn't feel fulfilling, where do we return? What's missing? What's the, what's the essential piece that's empty in there? And how do we go recover it? Um, because we know we know it adds fulfillment to all service and that all service without it is empty. And mm -hmm. we all have experiences of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's huge. Also, I really love the holy with the W in the, fr w in the front of it. Nice. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that one. It's really nice. <laughs> well, I, I may be making this up, but uh, health comes from wholeness. Mm -hmm. So, Spiritual health, physical health, emotional health, all of that, all of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say even leadership health. So the mm -hmm. health of 
leader, I can I can determine that. You know, um, we have metrics and good assessment for that. The health of a leader, um, but it also comes from this um, core identity of I belong. I belong here. Um, this is the role that I'm serving right now. But really, I belong here, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that that will hold me true. Yeah, that's something More- I have to remind myself of often and anytime that has to be there as a reminder often i know that there's something off yes yes and sometimes i struggle to find what is it what's the thing that's off yes what do you think it would be where do you start looking because i know a lot of people feel this way so um because of the frameworks and training that that I am most closely aligned with, I'm really heavy on the feedback, right? So I know I can't see myself. Um, I know I can't look look at my own integrity um, in the world. <laughs> so I'm dependent on others' perspectives of where am I in alignment, where am I out of alignment from what I profess or what I what I claim are my values or my beliefs or what I feel are the best best operating principles, and then where am I behaving um, alternate to those things? Um, or even just to be more um, external, not as intimate, um, you know, where am I just ineffective, period? Um, and people are not used to that question. Um, you know, hey, that was a great meeting. Um, where was I ineffective in that meeting? Where did you feel like we were going to lose our way, even if we recovered it? Was there a point when you felt like we lost our way? Um, you know, can we explore that together? Is is not really not usually a question people are are ready for, but um, but I train my leaders to ask those kinds of questions, and and it's very interesting the data that you get back when you ask that question. What you do with it. Um, because that will usually guide you towards what's off, um, you know, cause, cause then there are many, like there's infinite possibilities of, um, I didn't feel like your heart was in it, or I felt like we've done this a lot of times and I'm predicting what's going to happen this time. Same as all the other times. I, I don't feel fresh with this one or right. Like those are really rich, you know, kind of rife pieces of feedback. And so I mean, you, you, you have to have an internal system that's ready to process those with, with someone or not. Um, and so, so I guess my overall, that my overall first answer is seeking feedback and having a normal practice of seeking feedback and then having a method that I can use to, to really sort through that and integrate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know a lot about this. I mean, I shouldn't, I don't even need to no, say No, but it. I'm glad you're saying it. Uh, I'm glad you're saying it. Uh, one of my problems that I run into is that um, I have a hard time um, getting feedback from people that informs uh, better decision-making where I need to be adaptive. Oh my gosh. You're in the heart of it. Like that just sucks. I <laughs> Hit me. Uh, it's such a, oh, that's like such a rich observation. So there, I want to pull it apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, so the first part, I have trouble getting feedback about the things that 
are important to me to improve. Is that correct? Yeah. Or even when, uh, let's say, I, I, let's say I have a coaching group yep. and this is a wonderful group. It's been super transformative. It's long lasting. It's like, it's, it's the, it's the epitome of the infinite game, so to speak. Yep. And everybody's bought in on it. Rad. But there's a part of me that's like, I know we can do better. Yeah. Um, and as a leader, I need to know where I can be more effective. You do. And rarely do I receive the feedback that informs me being more effective or so I believe because maybe I'm not hearing it and maybe I don't see it. Maybe I don't want to even see it. I'm like, I'm just saying it because it's the right thing to say. Yeah, brother. I think that's fully operating unconscious for sure. Okay. And that because anytime anyone says, and listen, this comes out of Kara Miller's mouth all the time. Um, anytime we say, I ask for feedback, but I can't get feedback that helps me get better. Like, what is it? Like, wh what's the deal? Um, you know, my first answer to me is you're not asking either in the right way or you don't have focused enough of an ask. And usually it's because there's something unconscious avoidance at play. And so the practice of asking for feedback is really common. The pro productivity of the, of the feedback exchange is shitty. Mm -hmm. So everyone asks for feedback. Nobody gives good feedback. Nobody takes feedback. Well, nobody focuses their ask for feedback. Feedback is a, it's a fail almost all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is, it's super juicy because mm -hmm. I see it in myself. I mean, I'm constantly having to revise and discipline my questions and my feedback seeking. Cause I so desperately want it. I'm super hungry for it. Yeah, like, just give it to me. I want you to respect me enough to tell me the truth about how you experience me. I'm desperate for it. And <laughs> I'm really desperate to protect myself and to feel dignified and to not break what I feel like I've done a really good job at setting up. <laughs> and so those two, those two things are playing on one another and it, it brings me to a place of, okay, what's, what's a, what's the better feedback question? What do I actually want feedback on? And how do I show up in a way that people believe me that I want that feedback and that I'm going to do something with it? And so there's, there's a way in which I can take responsibility for every single part of that, which is, am I believable when I ask for feedback that I want the hard feedback, the focused feedback, even if I ask all the right questions, even if I focus the feedback into, I'm not asking you whether the program's good. I'm asking you whether you feel attended to in a way that I'm the least amount of obstacle as possible to you. Or is there any way left where I'm an obstacle mm -hmm. for you doing your best, deepest work? Um, mm -hmm. Even if I ask all those fabulous focused questions, and they still don't believe me that I really want the hard stuff. 
that I really want to hear. You know, sometimes you're disingenuous. Sometimes you come off as unfocused um, that anybody would have a hard time with um, mm -hmm. if they still don't believe that I really, truly want that and can do something with it, that I'm sturdy enough to do something with that um, and it won't break our relationship and it won't affect what's what's good. Um, like, we still, mm -hmm. still aren't going to get it. And so the amount of work that we have to do, the amount of responsibility that we have to take in order to ask for good feedback, to focus that feedback into things that matter and to make it normal and as low risk as possible for people to participate. That's a big one. Is so much, there's so much to do there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm yeah, I mean, I, I've, tr I've tried the anonymous route, yeah. I, you know. Uh, and, and, and something that I've run into and because we can't solve, we can't, we can't have a universal prescription here for asking for feedback. It's, it's right. yeah, but, uh, and, and, but maybe this helps add a little bit of color. Um, I have received feedback uh -huh. and then I've implemented it and deployed what I've learned. And then on the other side, um, seen a little to no uh, movement because of uh, my implementation. So I'm thinking that I implement it incorrectly. And now I'm going to ask feedback on my implementation of the feedback and then uh, receiving either crickets or something that is completely off topic that yeah. has to nothing to do with the effectiveness of that. Where am I potentially going wrong there? Okay, great question. Um, feedback about your impact and your influence is a different layer of feedback than about your approach or your um uh your doing i guess is about like maybe a more general way of saying it so mm -hmm. your facilitation your um you know your your programming your administration of the work and the and the coaching um you know, all of those things, those I would consider sort of logistical, like delivery, pieces of delivery feedback. Um, those are good. Those are business. You should do that for business. Sure. Um, you should just, you know, crank your machine better and better every time. Uh, way more stimulating. And I think what you're trying to get at is feedback about how you get in the way of your really good program. Mm -hmm. Because we are always somehow in the way of a good translation of, a, of an experience for people, whether it's a workshop, whether, I mean, dude, by the time you retired from running workshops, you were probably like a one, number one, best in the game, like completely. Mm -hmm. um, and yet I had a conversation with you near the time that you were ending that, that run. Mm -hmm. And you were not feeling full satisfaction. You, you, you were not experiencing the sort of good, beautiful, noble standard of what you knew you were capable of. And you weren't getting feedback that invited you to an improvement of that thing, that quality. And, and it forced a change in you. You, you transformed your... <laughs> approach identity you you suspended so much of that in order to get after a closer experience i'm gonna guess i'm gonna just maybe suggest to to 
to try to touch a more intimate a more close experience of somebody willing or some group willing to evaluate your impact and your influence and experience and the way that you get in the way of people's learning um, in a way that challenged you and inspired you to want to change your behavior, change your mind, to to get in touch with different parts of your own spirit and and discerning leadership. Um, That that I just read a lot into your question. (laughs) And I, and I, and I love it because it it really, um, it, it, it actually reinforces a lot of the uh, narrative that I have going on, which could be a negative thing, but uh, I'm, I'm very glad you're, you're bringing this up because I think you just brought something up that I think every leader, every person, I mean, we're all leaders uh, to some degree. We haven't even defined what leadership is here today. So we're just going to let that be open for people to uh, yeah, imagine what that is or define it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't even talked about what adaptive leadership even is. Like we haven't even tapped into those things, but all those terms mm-hmm. are just informing the essence of the conversation here, which uh, is coming down to this idea of reaching or touching or getting access to that thing um, that moves you closer to, I mean, I guess your potential, the edges of your potential, uh, being complete, whatever that is. And and, and that, uh, I guess, being part of the uh, thing that's exciting about leadership is that it's every single thing is an opportunity to access that. And I don't know what I'm, I'm obsessed with that. Throw you the word progression because it's yours. Thank you. Thank you. So progression is an experience. Mm -hmm. It's also a thing, an observable thing, but progress, progressing is a verb that describes an experience. And when we don't have the experience of progressing, Wait, what are we like humans like thrive on evolving, progressing, improving, right? Like that, since the history of time, we got some lazy ones among us. Okay. But like in general, overall, on the whole, we are a progressing, evolving, um, you know, complex, you know, moving towards complexity um, as a whole. And when we don't have that experience, it's very unsatisfying. So whether we say it's potential or, um, you know, or progress or something like that, um, your concept of progression using skill transfer to ensure that progression continues is part of answering this need for a satisfying existence. Um, we all know work is a core part of our identity. Um, contribution is usually a core part of our meaning making. If we can convince ourselves that we've made a contribution through our sort of dignified work, then we do really well. We feel like we're on a progression. Now, when somebody feels like they're not progressing, um, whether it be towards some promotion that's their ideal or some ideal that they're working towards, whether it's a muscle up or it's, you know, vice president, what, you know, whatever it is. Um, when we have the sense that we're not progressing, we get squirrely. Mm-hmm. And we usually externalize that to they're not promoting me or, um, well, people like me don't make it into those places 
or I mean, you know all the stories, right? You've heard them all, and you probably told yourself a bunch of them. I, I certainly have. Totally, um, and I've I've been even told, you know, oh, you're not the you're not the typical this, yes. or you you know. Yes, and so we we're not uncomfortable. I mean, we we are uncomfortable with um, not progressing. With mm-hmm. that, there's discomfort there. Um, now, the response to that discomfort um, is also varied. It's resignation. It's blame, it's depression, um, or it can become sort of where you've come out, which is it can drive adaptation and it can drive you to change your context, even though there's a ton of adversity and a ton of humility in, you know, making that change and, and knowing that you're doing skill transfer in the way that you describe it in, mm-hmm. in the way you describe it from a hand to an arm or whatever, but you're doing it from, from one deep commitment, deep form of service to another one that exposes you more greatly. And so the, the, the courage and the bravery of that are significant. The effectiveness of that is even more significant because you're increasing your own exposure to feedback about things that are are deeper and more fundamental to who you are how you identify as a leader will create the ability for progression from here that's of a different quality than you experienced before because you're a different person you're in a different place and that kind of progression just doesn't do it for you anymore Mm -hmm. Um, it's a part of your practice still, I'm sure, right? Sure. Still doing handstands. You're probably still doing the work. Um, also, you likely feel dissatisfied about the feedback that you're getting and the exposure that you've offered. It's not getting the return that you're that you're hungry for. And most people around you are not going to be skillful in responding to you that way. They haven't been through the same transformative experience. In fact, that's why they're attracted to you because they see you having this transformative experience and they want to know how it was built and how to enter it themselves. Therefore, they will not be skillful enough. Um, So you'll increase your exposure. And when they aren't skillful enough to respond in kind and with mutuality, you will become frustrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe you have already, um, which should drive your progression right mm. so it should drive your questions it should drive your approach and drive your exposure if it doesn't discourage you mm-hmm. um, Ooh, cutting cutting deep um you're so cool that you um would would work this out loud i think mm-hmm. the people who listen to you and um and are are fulfilled by the way that you see the world and are inspired by the way that, that, that you take perspective on your own work and your own life. Um, they, they benefit so greatly from hearing you break your own system mm-hmm. and, and, and look deeply, um, which is painful. It can be very painful to do that. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't rec, I don't recommend it. Um, but uh, you know something that uh, I also uh, think I've done is that um, I've also pushed people away by saying like, "I'm just a dude trying to figure it out. What? Why do you want to be close to me? Get get out of here." That because you do that. It's so true. Yeah, 
I love you and I respect you. And you do that. And, and, and that is, that's an escape. It is. It's a rescue mission. Totally. And, because I don't want to go through it yeah. uh, with people. I'm like, and I don't want to see you go through it because I'm like, if it hurts for me, I'm yeah. like, I don't, don't do this. Don't do this. Just do the steps. Those are much better. Like yeah. take the five steps, read that book. That's, that's the way. And that's where helpers go wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay, you just described it. That was a very early question in our conversation, yep. but there it is. That's where the helper, the helper identity comes up and it's like, no, 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 no. Like, let's keep this helpful, right? Um, and there's a funny self-dismissing when we say they shouldn't have to handle me mm -hmm. or they're not, they're not really in a place where they could. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they don't need it. They've got enough of their own. Okay. That's not helpful to others. That's actually dismissive of your own core value and worthiness. Which, which takes me away of that sense of being beloved. It's like that. Yes. And that's exactly what you were saying earlier. And that's the part that if we can start there, maybe leadership starts with, mm, you are loved. I, I love I, or I love me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also an invitation for us to experiment and stumble around with, if I, if I really believed that I am already loved enough, I already have my core, core fundamental needs met. Like, am I worthy of my breath? You know, like there's an answer to that question. Yes, you are. Mm -hmm. um, if I have that question answered, then of course I would believe that others like could come and have a mutual feedback experience with me, right? Like I'm, I am worthy of that. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm well loved and I want to improve. I want to get better and better at expressing the the belovedness that I identify with, I want to get better and better at expressing that to others so that that's, that's what they experience from me. I mm -hmm. would love for my clients to believe that I had just ultimate care and regard, respect and love for them, regardless of their performance ratings, their leadership capacity, whatever, right? I would like them to have an experience of that from me so that they would believe that they were worthy of my attention and our time. We're going to devote all of our time to talking all about your leadership issues. Um, like there's a tendency to be like, well, how about you? You know, <laughs> like, like um, Hey, I want to, I want to share my sessions with my coworker. You know, it's not fair. I think, um, but all of those are dismissive of that, of that core value. And, um, and yes, your sense of wanting to rescue others from having to carry you or worse, my, mine is more people can't handle like my feelings, you know, they won't be able to handle my struggle or mm -hmm. like it will, it will be too much. And they've already got other things going on. That's the, the those are the like bad stories I tell myself, um, rather than, um, you know, I'm beloved, I'm sturdy. And this person actually believes the same thing about me and wants me to have 
an experience in my life of becoming more and more a reflection of that knowledge and that there are ways that they could help me see how I'm not that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that there's a, something that we've built that, that can contain and, and hold the work done in that, in that regard. Um, Mm -hmm. So you don't do this with someone on the airplane. I mean, right. For goodness sakes. Um, This is where teams, you know, when I find them and they haven't made agreements about how to work together, it's like, well, do you even respect the fact that you're all here and like in positions of leadership and that you all have expertise in your, you know, functional areas or whatever, like some of that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it causes problems. And so um, Mm -hmm. I think you've, you've used yourself as an illustration of an experience that many, many leaders have. And I don't think you'd be surprised to hear that it's the people at the highest levels of leadership that feel the most distanced from this experience of themselves as, you know, really well held and that they know how to get the feedback to improve and that they're really still on a progression. Okay. A lot of them are totally tapped out. They're like, I'm not progressing. I'm not satisfied. No one gives me feedback. Um, you know, I feel sort of empty. Like I'm questioning everything. I mean, so I encounter that sort of CEO president level leader at this place in the very bind you're talking about. And, and, and they may not have the freedom to go jump and transform industry to create enough adversity to just kick them out of it. But they've also never studied progression. They've never studied, you know, in, in any of what's going on in them and their own developmental, like over ripeness. It's like, ah, oh, they're just sick with it, right? Mm-hmm. They're full up, they're rotting because their lack of, growth and transformation because right overripe fruit needs to rot out get eaten you know start Mm -hmm. again the seed needs to grow like okay so a lot of leaders that i encounter feel like that they feel overripe and they're delaying transformation Mm -hmm. (coughs) sorry yeah yeah get get a sip of water um, yeah, that's that's actually uh, an interesting thing, and this uh, we're slowly bringing this to um, a gentle land. Um, <coughs> where, where was I going to go with this? Oh, uh, that I, that's why deadlines and competition is so important for me. Is that it gets me out of the uh, planning to plan, finding meaning, exploring what does progression even mean? It's like stop doing all that for a second. And just do do some do something that's productive. Do something that's technical. And in doing the technical things, you will adapt. And I think that that's kind of the it's the paradox kind of thing. Is like you have to be adaptive, but if you don't do the technical things, you can't um, you can't adapt. So, well, you will remind yourself of what progression feels like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we forget what that feels like, so we don't know how to re- or we don't know how to recreate it for ourselves at some higher level. And so professional athletes who end a career, um, you know, you know, many of them, I've coached many of them and they're, they're not different um, than, you know, CEO level leaders who have sort of made it all the way. And then uh, like, now what, Um, what more is there for me? Um, And it sounds like a privileged question. Like, dude, you were a professional, like, 
sit down, you know, whatever. And like, you're the CEO, take it, go to on a cruise, you know? And, um, but that's not a, that's not a satisfying answer. It's not a fulfilling answer. They've become so distant from the feeling of progression and they don't see a place to go get it now um, that they often need the basics again to re-experience the feeling of progression. And um, I mean, one way this is in, in my life is when I was young, I practiced ballet. I loved it. I stopped it somewhere during mid high school or something. And, um, and in my adult life, I've picked it back up mm. and, um, <laughs> it's such an ass kicker. Like I have some knowledge of the thing, but it's a totally different thing. I'm, I'm, I'm dancing with adults. I'm answering to adults. I'm, I have, I, I feel like I'm living in a totally different body. <laughs> totally. Um, and like, I come out of that thing every time thinking two things. One, I'm shit at this. I want to quit it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm an expert. Okay. In some things in this world and it's not this. And so I'm going to stop it. You know, <laughs> I know what that feels like. Um, and also, oh my gosh, I knew what she meant when she said, you know, sachet or whatever. I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, like, I remembered it from the last time. I was like, oh, look at me. Uh, so I'm, I'm re-experiencing like the feeling of progression. And there's lots of reasons for that, you know, in my life, but, but I've done something similar to you, which is go back to some real fundamentals or some real basics some really embodied experiences of difficulty of learning of progression that can remind me what it's, what that's like when I feel sort of tapped out and dissatisfied, or I feel like there's a block and I can't push, push past it. Um, so it's a, I think you make a very good point of some of those basics, having the access to, to reincorporate those or, or, or reground yourself in those is, is quite important. And for leaders, sometimes that can be something as basic as communication. You know, mm -hmm. we tell me about how I am as a communicator or something, right? Like that sounds so basic, you know, yeah. um, but they can do that too. It's not really about ballet or push-ups or something, but it's, it can be about yeah, exa 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 fundamentals. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I like that uh, using it as a reminder. So to, to bring this to a close, and, and this may be a challenging question to answer in, in, in like one sentence, but let's, let's attempt. Um, <laughs> if, if anybody here is listening and is in a leadership position, mm -hmm. This is now either chosen or given okay. to some, some degree, granted, maybe earned even. Um, what is something they should know or remember to awaken adaptive leadership specifically? I like a distinction we were making earlier in the conversation about choosing between using an instrument of leadership or looking at your own instrumentation as a leader. And that question could, could really carry you for a long time. Um, what it requires is a scan of the present moment, what I would call the here and now. Um, what's occurring, what's effective, what's ineffective, how might I 
tweak or, or adjust my approach to get a different result, right? Like that's an awareness and in the moment awareness. Um, but the temptation that comes from the practice of an awareness like that is to create an instrument to then either um, label, categorize, you know, move it forward, answer it, um, either a product or, or a process or something like that. Now, products and processes are not bad only when they get us out of how, how do I need to adjust my instrumentation or how do I need to adjust the way that I am aware of my own influence, aware of my own impact? Um, that's a very reflective question, but likely the data that you get from staying with instrumentation rather than creating instruments to go get it resolved, um, that data will likely lead to better products and better process, better policy, more informed ways of working together than getting an instrument. Um, certainly than getting an external instrument, uh, mm -hmm. getting a trainer, getting a you know framework in here, getting that, that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that that's my answer, which is an invitation really to what we talked about before, an early version of discernment or mm -hmm. alignment so that you do have an, a very solid answer for, do I know what I'm in service of? Or if I'm, if I'm serving, do I know what that's in order to enable or to create? Um, mm -hmm. You can only answer that question about your service if you are attuned to the impact of your influence and you know your own instrumentation your own attunement to that in and to the system so the next level system level leadership would be being able to do that on behalf of the system and then to consult to the system so the the first step really is treating yourself like the system so how do i take an assessment figure out you know how am i aligned am i Am I doing well, um, practicing some discernment, getting some feedback about that, um, and then making consultations to yourself? How do, how do I need to adapt? What kind of adaptations are required to keep me in progression? Um, then how do you apply that to a system? That's graduate level leadership. And mm -hmm, that's next level. Um, yeah. yeah, and I guess the assessment uh, for me just right now was, what am I assuming to be true at this moment that is creating some blind spots and not allowing me to be as adaptive as I could be in my leadership position? Oh, I mean, is there someone in your life who could answer that question? Like, is there someone who would be like, hmm, let's go after a few of those? Like, Yeah, Ta Tanya could. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go Tanya. Yeah. I mean, I'd invite her to do it in me too, but cause she's so good and direct and clear mm -hmm. oh, yeah, so she's... Clean in her like ability to do that. Um, and you probably need somebody else. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, I'll be sending you an email later. Uh, okay. Kara, I'm ready. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, it's an aspiration. Mm-hmm. And, and that those kinds of relationships need to be built for sure. Right. Um, but yes, if you can imagine what that would be like, so like, mm -hmm. go back and listen to the, how you just worded that question. I think it was really, really courageous. It was really direct and it will yield 
very different results than, you know, how did the program go for you or how, you know, what, how could we facilitate this differently for your learning? Um, you just, you won't get as interesting of uh, data as you will with the question that you just asked, which is, um, gosh, yeah. people do ask me those questions, but I think it's because I'm out here like, hey, like, <laughs> ask these questions. But, um, but when it never loses, it's like, tingle you know it never loses it's like whoa we just moved somewhere mm -hmm. and somewhere really precious and some somewhere with great potential for transformation and so it's it's no different when i hear it from you i mean it's like i, I feel i have tears in my eyes because of the way that you said that question mm. and just just how much it holds for you um, and, and that you've asked that many times over the years in different ways, different levels and different layers of intimacy. Um, and so it's very, it's very exciting, very humbling, you know, for all of us to get to hear you ask that question. Um, just heads up everybody. That was really a unique experience That's cool. um, That's from cool. someone as accomplished as you. Wow. Thank so. you. Amazing. Kara, uh, it's time for you to go. So, uh, and not because I want you to leave, but because this is your, your time. Uh, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for, so much for sharing. And um, yeah, I'll make sure people know where to find you. Um, we'll, get, we'll leave the socials, not, not the emails. Uh, yeah. And, and, and we'll go from there. Carl, that's such an offering. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you. This is the Freestyle Way.